0: The Seager, the pick, the throw, Paxton has done it! It's a no-hitter! The left-hander from Ladish, British Columbia has just no hit the Blue Jays on his native soil! Hello and welcome to the Tanzer's Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros here alongside Max Tanzer and we have a ton of moves to discuss on this weekend's show. Lots of pitching moves this week, Max. We had two starting pitchers sign, a trio rel- reliever sign, and two pretty significant batters added to two contending teams. Let's start off with the starting pitchers here. Two former Mariners starting pitchers, one of them returning to Seattle and James Paxton and Taiwan Walker is joining the New York Mets on a two year $20 million deal with a player option for 2023. Let's start with Walker. What were your thoughts when you heard that the Mets had acquired Walker?
1: Well. Coming into this offseason, or I shouldn't say coming into this offseason, but a couple weeks ago, I was looking at Walker and different destinations for him, and the Mets seemed like a perfect fit, especially since so many pitchers have fallen off the market as of late. And, you know, they're not looking for an ace guy. I know they missed out on Trevor Bauer, but they just need some depth in the back of that rotation, especially with Noah Syndergaard likely won't be healthy until midseason this year but walker brings a guy who has experience there are some injury issues as he's had some elbow and elbow and shoulder issues in the past so that could be a concern it was still very good last year a 270 era and 53 and one third of an innings pitched when he went over to toronto from the mariners in that trade had a 1-3-7 in 26 innings. His peripherals don't support that very well. They never really have, so it'll be something interesting to look at as he plays a full season here. Another note, this will be his first full season in almost three years. As he had the Tommy John surgery he only through one inning in 2019. So there are a lot of question marks here. It's the only one concern I have for the Mets in this case because they do have a lot of guys in that rotation already who have injury problems. But they can have him healthy for the full year and sit around a 3-9-4-2, and I think that that'd be really valuable for them.
0: Yeah, and it's a good deal for both sides. We talk about this with moves every once in a while, how it's a good fit for both sides, the player and the team. Walker obviously gets a two-year, ten million dollar or twenty million dollar deal, ten mil per year. That's a good deal for him, a guy who hasn't been totally healthy in his career. You mentioned the peripherals and StatCast goes to show that maybe Walker wasn't as good as he performed last year based on the raw numbers. He was 29th percentile and expected ERA that was with an expected ERA of 487. So that's a lot higher than 270 that he showed in 2020. So you'll have to wonder if there's some concerns there. You mentioned the injury history and that's something that can't really be ignored. He hasn't had a real full season since 2017. But in 2017, he was very good with the Arizona Diamondbacks, 3-4-9 ERA in 28 games, 157 in the third innings pitched. That's not a ton of innings, but you know that's a decent, sizable margin of innings that the Mets, I'm sure, would be thrilled if he was able to hit that number this season, especially when there's going to be a lot of concern about starting pitchers, getting through innings, especially after a shortened season. He only threw 53 in a third innings in 2020. So... Maybe jumping up that number by 100 innings might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm sure the New York Mets will be hoping for him to lengthen out their rotation. Heading over to the second starting pitcher now, I referred to him a little bit earlier, a former Seattle Mariner heading back to Seattle, James Paxton, one year, $8.5 million deal. Speaking of deals that are great for both sides, this deal is great for Paxton. He gets a decent amount of money in this deal over one year. He gets to bet on himself here, and the Mariners get a veteran arm to put at the top of their rotation.
1: No doubt about that, and it's very similar to what Taiwan Walker did last season with the Mariners. And... Really hadn't, he had just pitched one inning in 2019 with the Diamondbacks, as I just said. And then he came back to the Mariners, a team that didn't have much pressure put on him. And he was able to dominate and eventually work out a trade to the Blue Jays, where they were contending for the postseason unfortunately did not get to start in the postseason last year paxton very similar case coming off of a very difficult 2020 obviously the velocity was down towards 91 92 miles an hour which is never encouraging of course here but according to the mariners the bullpen was very encouraging currently he's sitting at about 92 miles an hour in his bullpens but he has said that that's where he usually is at this time in late february i like this move a lot because he knows the area very well very comfortable in Seattle like you said so that's good for him but also he can provide a lot for these younger arms Justice Sheffield who of course he was traded for uh, heading into 2019 so I think the Mariners have officially won this trade Uh, but also pairs really well with Kikuchi, Marco, um, Justice Sheffield as I just said Um, so we have four lefties in that rotation but we talked about this earlier this week they're all four very different types of lefties, Paxton, Power, Marco, more finesse, Kikuchi, and Justice rely more on their stuff. So I think that should be good for them. And remember, it's a six-man rotation. Not only does that benefit the young guys, but James Paxton, a guy who struggled with health, definitely will limit the innings on him as well. And hopefully he can build himself back up.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. When we break down these two deals, Taiwan Walker with $20 million over two two years, Paxton only gets one year, $8.5 I'm not sure many people would have predicted this heading into the off season. I mean, you look at Paxton not too long ago, 2019, he made 29 starts with a 3.82 ERA, struck out 186 batters over 150 in two-thirds innings. Prior to that, he had struggled with health issues, but he was a lot more healthy than Walker actually was since 2017 when walker made those 28 starts paxton made 24 starts in 2017 that was with a 298 era he had a 376 and 18 with 28 starts and that aforementioned 382 era in 19 with the 29 starts so he's not going to give you a ton of innings but he's going to give you quality innings when he's healthy he obviously struggled in 2020 with a 664 only made five starts so that's why it put a damper on his market heading into free agency, but I think Paxton probably has the higher ceiling of these two guys
1: no doubt, and he definitely has the better track record, right? We talk about Taiwan Walker, both of them coming up back in the early 2010s. You know, it was supposed to be a three-headed monster for the Mariners. Danny Holson, who unfortunately never pitched in a Mariners uniform, then Walker and Paxton. Unfortunately, both struggled with injuries. Paxton a little bit less than Walker, as you said, was able to make more starts. But again, you mentioned it. Hasn't been able to throw over 160 innings ever in his career, but that's not a bad thing if you could get five to six innings, keep you in a ball game, be as dominant as he has shown at many times. That one point he was one of the best left-handed starters in Major League Baseball back in 2017-18 so he's got that stuff it's just a matter if he can bring it back and I think putting yourself in a low pressure situation to just build yourself back up after a really difficult and unfortunate 2020 uh, can really benefit him and you know my expectations for him are to be or is to be a very good pitcher for us in uh, 2021 so I still have high expectations for him.
0: Yeah, and I'll put you on the spot here. Which one of these two guys would you take on your team next season?
1: Which one? Uh, Walker or Paxton? It's a very tough one because it depends on how it goes for both. If I were to do it, I'll, I'll re-answer this right here. If I were to do it, Right now, I probably would go with Taiwan Walker because I do think what he showed last year is very, very promising. Obviously, the StatCast numbers don't back it up, but I think if he could stay healthy, he could be a dominant pitcher versus Paxton. There's still a little bit of a hesitancy there because the velocity is down. We don't really quite know what we're seeing. But another thing is I wasn't in there in that bullpen he was throwing up in Seattle. Apparently, it was very good, so the Mariners saw something they liked, jumped on it early, so maybe my opinions changed if I see that. But I would go with Walker right now. Paxton, if he could bounce back and sit between anything between a 3-7 and 4-2 this year, I'd be very happy with going forward, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I will note here also, Walker has been talked about as being a lot younger than Paxton, so maybe that has to do with this, the, you know, the differential in money here. T- Walker is 28 years old. Paxton's 32. Not a huge gap, four-year gap there. But as you mentioned, the it's drop in him. velocity at Paxton's age is concerning. Moving on here we'll stay in the AL West here but we'll move to the bullpen in Oakland, the A's went on a bullpen bonanza this week, signing Trevor Rosenthal to a one-year $11 million deal. A lot of that money is going to be deferred until 2023. Yusmero Petit signing with Oakland as well, one-year $2.5 million deal. And lastly, Sergio Romo signed with Oakland as well, one-year two and a quarter million million deal there. Very busy week for Oakland, who is pretty quiet all offseason, but you know, they solidified their bullpen, which had been a strength for them in the past. Which one of these arms stands out to you most? I think I have an idea.
1: I, it has to be Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal, obviously, with his dominant 2020 season. And what a story it is, really, after struggling with injuries and coming back, posting a one ninety ERA uh, with the Royals and the Padres last season. I think this is a great replacement for Liam Hendricks. It's a little bit cheaper, or a lot cheaper, obviously, as well, which really helps out this Oakland team. But this is huge because before this week they were set to lose Hendricks, Soria, and Petit, who were all three huge contributors for them last season. They bring back Petit obviously this year, add Romo and Rosenthal. It definitely strengthens their pen. It gives me a better outlook for them going into 2021 because, like you said, they had been very quiet, you know. And I think a lot of people are saying Oakland is still the favorite in the American League West. But the Astros are still a very good team, and Oakland hadn't done too much to get better, and they had suffered major losses. But this at least brings them back a little bit. I'll add on to as well. I, I, I know you'll love this one. His ERA was at 1.66 last year. The expected ERA was at 4.42, so there is some hesitancy there before. Before that, the difference was only a matter of about a half a run. So maybe that's just a little fluke in what was, you know, a handful or 21 innings. But uh, something to keep an eye on going to going into 2022 is he'll be 36, 37 years old.
0: Yeah, and I'll head over to another polarizing guy. I love that you were the one to put a damper on a signing. <laughs> it's usually me putting those expected ERAs out me. there. But I'm here, there. we'll go We'll go over to a StatCast darling here in Trevor Rosenthal. Moving back, expected ERA, 99th percentile. Doesn't get any better than that. He's lighting up the statcast peripherals, everything except exit velocity, hard hit percentage for Rosenthal. He rates low in those categories. We've seen Josh Hader kind of have the same deal here where he strikes out a ton of batters, throws really hard, but when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. That's if he gets hit, He strikes out a ton of guys. He's 95th percentile in whiff percentage, 99th percentile in K percentage. So he strikes out a ton of guys. He gets a lot of swing and miss. When he gets hit, he gets hit hard, but he doesn't get hit very often. 38 strikeouts in 23 and two thirds innings last year. That's crazy numbers right there for Rosenthal. A .85 whip for him in 2020, a 1.90 ERA but with putting out those num- with putting those numbers out there you have to look back to his 2019 season where he's been one of the most polarizing pitchers over the past two seasons i say that because when you look back to 2019 in 22 games he had a 13.5 ERA he struggled mightily with control 26 walks in 15 in a third innings you have to think that's concerning and is part of the reason why he didn't get a multi-year deal here
1: yeah no for sure and I think the A's are obviously hoping that he can continue what he picked up or pick up from where he left off last year. Something interesting is the money will be deferred until 2023. Makes sense financially for the A's. I think it's $3 million uh, for 2021-22 and 2022, and then the remaining $5 million in 2023. So in terms of year-by-year basis, this isn't too much of a commitment for them. But $11 million is a lot uh, for the Oakland Athletics, especially for relievers. So good to see them actually going out there and getting a guy to help them compete against the Astros in the West. And the Angels, I should say. I shouldn't leave them out.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think it's going to be a competitive division next year. And obviously, your Mariners. You never know what they can do with the new (laughs) Paxton signing. But another guy I want to touch on here, you touched on Petit a little bit, so I'll touch on Romo. He's been one of the most solid relievers in the game over his entire career. 2.95 ERA in 732 career games. Fantastic numbers for him. Been one of the most like I said, solid relievers in the game. Last year in 2020 wasn't fantastic with Minnesota. He had a 4.05 in 24 games. In 20 innings, he had 23 strikeouts, so about as average as you can get out of the back of the bullpen, but average can be valuable. You always want reliability in those mid-innings of the game, so I think Romo can provide that to Oakland.
1: No doubt, and he's a guy that is going to force off contact for you. Obviously, you think back to last year and the difficult game one against the Astros in the wildcard game, but he's a guy with a pedigree. He's been doing it for a very long time, all the way back in the Giants and their World Series runs as well. He'll be in a familiar spot, and he'll get an opportunity to pitch in high-pressure situations just as he did with the Twins last year.
0: Absolutely, and another guy is going to be heading into some high-pressure situations in a competitive ball club is Justin Turner who signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers two years, $34 million with a $14 million team option for 2023. Turner has been in high pressure situations over the past few years as he's been one of the best postseason season performance in baseball over the past, maybe five or six years. He's been with the Dodgers. You gotta love the signing for Los Angeles. It was rumored that the Brewers were in there as the finalists, but Turner ultimately returns home.
1: Would have been fantastic if the Brewers were able to land him, but I can't envision Justin Turner uh, in any other uniform than the Dodger Blue. Obviously, he's been such a key element to their success uh, ever since he entered in 2014. Uh, Quite a terrific story as well. Uh, Just that one tweak he made in his swing and his stride with his high leg kick, and bang, he's one of the Uh, better hitters in Major League Baseball. Uh, Last year, obviously, very good continued in 860 OPS. Uh, The interesting thing about this for the Dodgers is this moves their payroll up to $248 million, $38 million over the luxury tax. If you include the luxury tax uh, rules, it's actually at $257 million. So that's a lot of money, but the Dodgers can spend that, uh, so why not? Bring back such a key part of your franchise in the clubhouse and on the field. Uh, A no-brainer move from me as long as they could afford it and they could
0: yeah, and this has been one of the best hitters, as you mentioned, in baseball since he's joined the Los Angeles Dodgers. Let's look at his stats here. We'll, we'll go through his slash line. 302 batting average, 382 on base percentage, 503 slugging. That's good enough for a 139 OPS plus or 39% above league average. That's from 2014 to 2020. So one of the best hitters in baseball over an extended period of time. The advanced statistics support his continued excellence last season, 299 expected expected batting average, 553 expected slugging. That was 93rd percentile and 93rd percentile in the league, both respectively, exactly the same percentile for Turner. Top of the league, one of the best hitters in baseball, and a clubhouse leader for the Dodgers as well. We'll move over to a couple of minor league signings here, actually a trio, Todd Frazier, Pittsburgh. Julio Tehran, Detroit, Cameron Mabin, Chicago. You know, these are some of the deals that can kind of go unnoticed, but these guys can all be viable contributors at the major league level.
1: No doubt. And guys who have had very good major league careers, Todd Frazier been in the league for what seems like forever now and has consistently been able to provide a power bat from the right side. You know, if he's a guy that does get promoted for the Pirates, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for him to stay in the league. We haven't seen him shipped at the deadline plenty of times the last few years so it may be an option for the Pirates if he does come up and produce for them but again as he gets older that will be a question mark uh, but then the other guys as well Mabin and Teron have been guys who've been in for a while Teron obviously struggled mightily with the Angels last year you know it was a guy that I thought actually would have worked out well for them I thought that would have been a good piece for him but in ERA above 10 just about 10 innings or so uh, but again Look at the teams these guys are signing for. Maybe besides maybe in the Cubs, you got the Tigers and the Pirates, guys who've been in the league for a while, just looking for an opportunity to play at the big league level. So good for them, and hopefully we get to see them stay uh, wearing their big league uniforms for longer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to touch on Tehran there. You mentioned how he had the 10 ERA last season, 31 in the third innings. He struck out only 20 batters, so well below average statistics there. But prior to that, he'd been one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball. Let me go through his games started since 2013. 30 games 33, 33, 30, 32, 31, 33. And all pretty solid ERAs between 289 and 449. So. Lots of valuable starts, lots of valuable innings for the Atlanta Braves throughout his career. The one down year he's really had besides the first two years when he got his first cup of coffee in the big leagues. Since then, he'd been super consistent in 2020, obviously the very down year, all the Statcast metrics, you know, showed that he did not have any underlying, there was really no bright spot to his performance last season. There was nothing that showed that, you know, maybe he had some bad luck, but you know, a great signing by the Tigers on a minor league deal, a guy who's shown in his career that can be, he can be super consistent, he's not that old, only 30 years old, you'd have to believe that he can turn it around
1: yeah and it's very similar you know what felix hernandez and matt harvey are doing with the orioles Uh, we talked about it with james paxton as well paxton maybe a little bit more of a different circumstance but still the same narrative here you know guys who have these capabilities but are just looking for an opportunity to play and these teams right here are looking to benefit from it Uh, get some innings guys can go deep in the ball games for you help your younger guys not only that but maybe be a guy that you could trade and get something good for or turns into a guy that you can extend and have for a couple of years and maybe uh, use as you develop and get closer to a competitive uh, season.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. Great signing by the Tigers. Let's move on to the American League. We'll stay in the American League. We'll move to the AL East. Brett Gardner, Justin Wilson, both signing with the Yankees, both returning to the Yankees. Brett Gardner on a one-year $4 million deal with a team option for 2022. Wilson obviously pitched with the Yankees not too long ago. He returns as well. The details of that contract have not been disclosed yet. But let's start off with Gardner. You'd have to believe that part of the reason Gardner ended up with $4 million over the $3 million that the Yankees were originally rumored to be pushing for was because he has been so beloved in New York throughout his career. And I don't think the fan base would have let the team hear the end of it if he walked away.
1: Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's the last remaining player from that 2009 World Series championship, a guy who bleeds uh, bomber blue for the Bronx Bombers. And, you know, I think the big struggle here for brian cashman the yankees was trying to stay under the luxury tax threshold right now they're close to that 210 uh, and then they know they wanted to add oday they know they wanted to add wilson so it was just a matter of fitting gardner in between that while staying under the 210 and it looks like they will be able to again we don't know the numbers on the wilson contract but a guy who has always put up consistent numbers for them the opus was a bit down last year at 747 garnered just 49 games he's going to be 37 years old so i think this is more of a guy who could provide that leadership on the bench Uh, generate some excitement for this fan base and really just is a guy that knows the Yankee way and that you know that sounds cliche and silly but it's important and playing in the Bronx is hard and he knows how to do it can help out that outfield and again I don't expect him to be the Brett Gardner that we saw in 2014-2015 but good to see him back in pinstripes again like Turner I don't know if I could see him wearing any other uniform.
0: Yeah no doubt about that and you know he's been an above average offensive player the past two years as well 116 OPS plus in 2019 108 in 2020 despite batting 223 he had a 354 on base he only slugged 392 but the year prior in 2019 503 slugging you'd have to imagine some of that is attributed to the short porch and Yankee Stadium but he knows how to you know Hit shots over there better than anybody. Maybe DJ LeMayhew could argue a new crown for the short porch king, but I think Brett Gardner knows that park and that team better than anybody. Justin Wilson, don't sleep on him. He could be a viable back end of the bullpen arm for the Yankees. Struggles a little bit with command, but he's got you know some of the best stuff out of the back end of anybody.
1: No doubt, and you know, you look at the Statcast numbers; they were a lot better than I expected. Limits a ton of hard hit contact, 92nd percentile in hard hit percentage. Uh, the expected slugging, 81st percentile as well, uh, which was at uh, 3.23 this year. Um, so good numbers for him again deepens that bullpen that's lost a couple of pieces in the last couple of years will probably be the big guys at the end in Chapman, Britton, Green and now you add O'Day and Wilson that's a much better look I really like the additions of O'Day and Wilson because it makes it much deeper as you've been losing guys like Onovino uh, Canely and so forth these last couple of years and helps them out uh, just looking at the numbers the last couple of years with the Mets 3-6-6 and 19-2 and thirds last year at 2-5-4 and 39 innings the year prior so he can do it I think I think he'll do well in the Bronx He just across the street in City Field over in Queens so a good move for them
0: yeah and he's a great ground ball pitcher which in the American League in parks like Fenway with the big wall in left field and Yankee Stadium as I mentioned short porch in right field I think that's going to be a huge benefactor for New York's bullpen speaking of the American League East let's go over there Max and I are going to be going through over the next six weeks We're going to be doing each division predictions. I know we have our AL East predictions today. Max and I haven't really discussed this. We haven't disclosed our AL East predictions. I'll start off, since I'm hosting this week, I'll go through my predictions, my projected standings for the American League East. I have to go with the New York Yankees winning this division. They have the best ball club. They've been able to win games despite their injuries. They've compounded on to their talent that they had last season. They re-signed the guys they need to re-sign. And you know, they made some major acquisitions. So give the Yankees credit. They have the best ball club in the American League East. And over the course of a full season, you know, even with the concerns and the rotation, I believe that they have the ability to win the division. Going to second place now, I have the Blue Jays. So no Rays in the top two spots in the division. We'll talk about that in a minute. I think the Blue Jays, with the young talent they have on their ball club, can have the ability to win this division potentially. But I still see them behind the big brother Yankees. I have the Tampa Bay Rays in third place. I still ha- think they have the ability to finish in the top three in this division based on you know the mindset of their club, the ability to win games with less. I know they don't have the greatest talent in the division, but they have the ability to finish at least in the top three based on the way their club is managed. I have the Boston Red Sox. It hurts me to say it, Max. I have them in fourth place. I do believe they have a great potential to be a surprise team this year. They have great talent on their club. We'll discuss that in a minute. And lastly, Baltimore Orioles. No more to be said there
1: what do you mean felix hernandez and matt harvey if we're in 2013 that that team has one of the best rotations in baseball no no i agree orioles in fifth this is interesting though i got the red sox in third over the rays in fourth here which you know you've been talking up the red Sox this entire off season i'm surprised you're not giving them that credit uh, but, you know, I see what you're saying with the Rays, and it's something I heavily considered as well, right? They lose Morton, they lose Snell. That's obviously a big concern, but they have so many starters. Glass now, Yarbrough, Archer, who's a really under the radar addition. Again, question mark, who knows what's going to happen? Didn't pitch at all last year. Waka, Fleming, then you add Hill, Reda McKay, a top prospect. Uh, Shane McClanahan, another top prospect. So they have options, and I think they can mix uh, different arm angles, different velocities, types of pitchers, arm sides, and so forth. That can help them. If there's any team that can do it it is the Tampa Bay Rays but to me there's not a glaring strength maybe besides their bullpen which is why which is why I lean away from them a little bit here you know the offense struggled a lot they had a down year from Austin Meadows and so forth allow obviously struggled in the back end so they can bounce back but I still don't see them being a powerful offensive team. And that's why I do have the Red Sox over them because the Red Sox do have some strengths. And again, there's some question marks in that rotation. Who knows what happens with Sale? I know you're big on Pavetta as well. That's a big question too, based on what happens in a full season. But they still will get Rodriguez back and so forth. Iovaldi, Richards is a great addition. Perez is always a very solid piece as well. I think that can compete with what the Rays have on paper at least, and then you add the bullpen, Sawamura, if I pronounced that correctly, difficult name, Adovito adding that in the back pen should bolster that. So we'll see. And I didn't even mention the best part, and I know you know it. I'll let you talk about it a little bit too, is that dynamic offense with Bogarts, Devers, Verdugo, the capabilities of J.D. Martinez. I think we could see a very big surprise in the American League East. I don't know about a wild card. I haven't thought about the whole picture yet, but I do think there's a chance that they'll be better than the race this year.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, You basically said the whole Red Sox spiel that I've been telling you the past couple months. (laughs) I'm proud of you. I hope I get to do the Mariners breakdown when we do the AL West. But no, you said it it all right right there. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, you said it all right there. I think the offense is the major thing. Their offense was fantastic. Last year, their pitching was abysmal that's why they were so poor their offense could simply not keep up when your starting pitchers are giving up 5 runs in the first two innings of almost every ball game it's going to be you know deflating to say to put it kindly uh, i think martinez was a was terrible last year i believe he'll have a big bounce back season even if he's not even if he even if he's close to what he was prior to the 2020 season, that's fantastic for them. Verdugo is a very underrated player in my opinion. He's not Mookie Betts. People need to stop comparing the two. There's no comparison there. It's unfair. But Verdugo is a very, very, very good player. Bogarts and Devers, arguably the best left side of the infield in baseball. I think Devers is consistently criminally underrated. You know, he had a down year last year. You know, I can't. Ignore that. But prior to that, his 2019 season, look up the numbers. An extra base machine. That left side of the infield alone is going to you know, accumulate. I would have to imagine at least 10 wins above replacement on their own. You look at the outfield. They have a solid outfield. I think Franchi Cordero is a very underrated acquisition. Obviously, he's had some injury risk in his career thus far. But I believe if he puts it all together, he can have massive production for Dugo in center. Renfro I think it's underrated and right him and you know Marwin Gonzalez will probably get some time in the corners I don't think that's a fantastic tandem, but they're above average you combine that with the other offensive above average guys They've had Vasquez is very very underrated. You look at Dahlbeck Hernandez I don't mean to go through the whole depth chart here, but you know how excited I get talking about the Red Sox yeah. So um, you guys get the idea though very underrated club. I think people should stop, you know <laughs> Overlooking that.
1: Well, and I think I think you know I want to talk about Bogarts here a little bit because I think he gets undershadowed because everyone's looking. Oh, we trade. They traded away Mookie Betts. They got no one now. They traded away their franchise player. But in several ways, Xander Bogarts can be a franchise player still. Has been one of the best shortstops in Major League Baseball. And to be honest with you, I don't think people consider him in that category. Now Garner, there are a ton of really good shortstops right now, and makes sense. But still over the last three years has hit three hundred, an OPS of nine oh seven, has averaged twenty-two home runs. So still very good, still a dynamic bat in the middle of that order that again is in a lineup that is very deep and could surprise many people.
0: Yeah, and I think Bogart's like you said, one of my favorite players in baseball, if not my favorite player on the Red Sox I love this guy and he gets consistently underlooked. best offensive shortstop in baseball. You cannot. I I think he's better than Tatis Tatis obviously has only had a small sample size in the big leagues thus far. He's only actually about played about a full season worth of games, which is kind of unbelievable when you think about it, uh, which is crazy. But Bogarts best offensive shortstop in the game. I think he gets overlooked because his defensive metrics aren't fantastic. But when you look into it a little bit deeper, he's about league average defensively at a tough position to play. And he's fantastic offensively, great leader on the team. He's major guy in the clubhouse for the younger players. He's played a huge role in the upbringing of Rafael Devers. I think he'll be huge you know, with Bobby Dahlbeck, a couple other younger guys, Jeter Downs eventually coming up as well. I think what he has done for the Red Sox as a club leader on and off the field has been severely understated.
1: No doubt about that um, and I you know I think that Alex core coming back plays a big role in this too obviously he was really uh, loved in that clubhouse a really tight-knit community with him at the top and him being back while there is some of course drama behind it I think everyone loves him there and that is may have been another one of the big missing pieces along with the pitching last
0: year. I just wanted to add we talked about all the offense and I said how the pitching was the issue last year and I haven't talked about how they've addressed the pitching. They've added a ton of depth and versatility in the rotation, injuries was a huge one for the bullpen and the starting depth. You know, you look at Richards, who I think has major potential. Pavetta, as you had mentioned, I think has major potential. Hauk is their sixth starter, and he had a very, very good performance at the end of last season, and they added Whitlock out of the Rule 5 draft, who can do both as well, so that depth and you know quality arms that they acquired will help their pitching this season.
1: And middle of the season you know like a trade deadline move you may get Chris sale back who knows what Chris sale it is but that could be very impactful as well all righty, so that is the first of six division predictions we will be doing up until opening day. That was the American League East. Once again, I had the Yankees, Blue Jays, Red Sox, Rays, and Orioles, and Ryan had the Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, Red Sox, and Orioles. Next week, we will be doing the National League East, so make sure to stay tuned for that. That's going to wrap up our show today. We thank you guys so much for tuning in to Matanzas, a baseball podcast. For Ryan Medeiros, I'm Max Tanzer. Have a great rest of your week. Now. Now.